Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaley Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome back to This is Bipolar. I am really excited to be here. This has been a tough week and so coming in the space always makes me so happy because I know uh, the listeners that are listening understand. For those of you, it's your first time. I'm Shaylee Hugendorn. I am a mama. I am a wife. I teach elementary school and I am a mental health advocate. I live with bipolar 2 disorder, was diagnosed in 2010. So it's been it's been a bit and I'm really excited um, about having my guest Birdie today. Um, I've just started interacting with her content in the last little bit and I'm just love 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 what she's putting out there and so I'm super pumped it's always exciting to me because I read a lot of people's books or sometimes I know things about people before I start but I know nothing so I'm very very excited I would love Birdie if you could just tell us a few things about yourself yeah absolutely well first for thanks Thank you for having me, uh, but I'm Birdie and I'm from Arizona, Oregon originally, but in Arizona now, and I'm a full-time writer and I guess content creator, if that's what you want to call it. It's so weird to, to call it that because that's not how I started to do it, but that's what I've become. So yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, I would love yeah. to just get started and dive into your story. So I am wondering... When did you start to notice, maybe might be you knew then, or maybe looking back, when did you start to notice that maybe there was something wrong or off? I'm curious. So I think for me, it started at a young age, like feeling off, just like, you know, I felt like I was always thinking of things that it didn't seem like other kids my age were thinking about like it, it was depression but I didn't realize it at that time like I would get sad over things and I was worried about things like financial situations and stuff as a young kid and so as I got older it was like oh you have depression and I was like okay that makes sense and then it wasn't until 2014 when I was diagnosed with bipolar and it just made so much sense. It wasn't until then though, well, more so I'd say, cause I didn't really accept my diagnosis until mm. last year. Okay. That's when I was like, okay, this is real. Like no more going off medication, coming back on, like that's not an option. And then now looking back, I see all the signs and all the things that I'm like, oh my gosh, it was there. I just wouldn't accept it. Mm. Wouldn't acknowledge that it was real. Yeah. So if I was someone that was listening, maybe I'm a parent, what would, can you think about maybe what would, what could they notice for a child, like for in the depression part, like, were you excessively sad or quiet? Or do you think that there's, there's signs? I know that's random, but I just thought of it. For a parent. Yeah, no, I, well, I think it's hard because teenagers, especially already kind of isolate and do all the teenage things. And I remember doing those things but I I'm also an extrovert so I think it was 
hard for people to notice because I like to socialize. I like to do these things. I just could feel it like deep down, like just this always just kind of sadness. Like if it wasn't for me, it was for other people. And it, it just didn't feel like my friends were kind of feeling the same way. So I, I, I learned at a young age to hide it just, Oh, it's not real. Other people aren't feeling this. And, and I had always based my life as a young adult too, on like what others were doing. Well, if they're not feeling this way, then it's probably not real for me. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. I completely relate to the extrovert part, right? Because (laughs) you're still like, there's this, just this idea of what they put on TV or whatever, that what depression is. And I've done some of these things as well, but the staying in, you know, staying in bed, um, not talking to anybody, uh, retreating, all of those things. There's like one way to look at depression. And sometimes we convince ourselves that that's not it because what we're seeing on, on the outside, like there in my deepest, deepest depression, there wasn't uh, a day, probably more than two days that I wouldn't leave the house or show up at school or show up at work or show up. Did I feel completely numb? hundred percent, but I still, still showed up. Right. So in people's minds, it's like, Oh, she's okay. She's here. She's talking to people. Right. She had a shower, uh, whatever. Or I would even have people over because I would be trying to do the things that I would normally enjoy. Right. And I think that people really don't understand. And I hate the term high functioning, but we don't really have, we need to think about it and come up with another term and then tell all the people, but because it makes it sound like it's, it's better, right? It's same with like people hierarchy, bipolar two and bipolar one, whereas it's all awful, right? Yes. There's differences. Yes. Mania is very different than hypomania and psychosis, but it doesn't, uh, I, I don't like to see say bipolar two is a lesser version of bipolar one because sometimes the depressions are deeper or it still uh, affects your life I don't know how do you how do you feel about that you're bipolar you live with bipolar two right correct yep so I have bipolar two and I kind of equate a lot of this stuff like to touch on what you were saying like you were still you know you were showering you were doing these things and to me it's almost like um and I hate the term too, a high function, but like a functioning alcoholic. Mm. So when we think of like an alcoholic, you know, we think of someone that's just sitting in their house drinking, you know, a fifth of whiskey or whatever it may be. But it's like, that's, that's not always the case. There's very, there's a lot of alcoholics that you would never know that that's what, and I felt that that fed into me hiding my bipolar because no one would ever know because I was still doing the same things. And now my husband would know because of course the ones closest to us, just like an alcoholic sometimes, you know, they get the, the brunt of things, but yeah, I, once I started realizing like, okay, this it's because it it does, it hits ahead like anything and you can't hide things once you get to a certain point. And that's kind of what happened for me last year. Wow. Yeah. So when you, um, did you notice more and this will have to be looking back because you weren't sure about your diagnosis or didn't accept it, but when you were in your twenties, did you experience, um, more depression or more looking back hypomania? Um, did you have, I know I had a really, um, predictable cycle 
did uh, is that something you had or was it random I'd love to hear about what um what it felt like in your 20s what maybe it looked like for you so I didn't know I mean looking back obviously yeah I'm like whoa it was so obvious like some things but you know now I always I would do you know have deep depression and then hypomania would set in and I would have people say again because I'm an extrovert you know oh you talk a lot or you do this a lot or you do that and I would think like something's wrong with me I wasn't putting things together like it was just it always had to be I guess I'd always think like I'm the problem there's something wrong with me and never acknowledging what was really going on and yeah so now I've got my cycle down to like a T like I've got it down to how many phases are in it what's going to happen things that are symptoms that are like leading into the next phase and but I had to because it's like you know last year I had some a really rough year like the roughest of my life and it sent me into the deepest depression of my life that I didn't think I was going to come back from and when I did come back from it I was like I'll never go there again and that's what has set me off on this like I've got I've got to figure out like you know what works for me and how to keep myself alive essentially yeah yeah so when you because you recognized that you had depression did you go on antidepressants all the time oh man I was on so many antidepressants because you know I'd go into the doctors and be like oh I'm feeling this way but again I wasn't seeing the hypomania as hypomania I was seeing it as like you're being an extrovert like you're 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 just happy so it was like depression medication after medication, nothing was working. So again, I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Like it's a, mm-hmm. if I could only learn to control my anger or, you know, and that's the other thing. And you, I've heard you touch on this, but I really like that you have hypomania and mania, you know, people assume it's just like, you're flying high and you're just so happy and that's not always the case. And I would say for me, 80 to 90%, I am just mad, like agitated, but I'm like going quick, but I'm just mad. Like, don't interrupt me. Noises will set me off. Like, I'm just angry. Yeah, yeah. I can completely relate to that. Because I call it I used to, to joke about like, just you know, the world is too much and coming at me, but now I call it my spidey senses. And it wasn't until teaching that I got language for it, um, which is, you know, sensory issues or, and I was like reading about it through a kid's IEP. Um, it's an individual education plan. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> but it was, I didn't really recognize it because things are so wild during hypomania because it wasn't, year round and I think that's hard for people to understand and hard for us to bring it to health professionals um, and why it takes so ridiculously long to get diagnosed is because you don't feel it all the time it isn't consistent so when I'm in a depression I forget I forget what hypomania feels like I forget all of those symptoms and just focus on you know those so like you, I thought I was just an extrovert. I thought hypomania was just, you know, regular Shaylee. Yeah. You know, you're listening, I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but because that 
even though that feels like hypomania doesn't feel great, it felt a heck of a lot better than the depression. So yeah. I never went for help during that time. So it's, yeah. it's really interesting. It's interesting that you, I only felt like there was something wrong with me when I was depressed, but when I was hypomanic, I think I didn't have the self-awareness and I was like, I feel like I got away with interrupting people and possibly being rude because I was fun. Oh, I feel that so much. And I, people tell me all the time, like, you, it's rude. Like you interrupt or you talk a lot or, you know, are you ever paying attention or do you focus like focus? And I would be like, what, what is wrong with me? But again, I was like, I've always been the fun one. And so it was like, same thing. I felt like I got away with it because I'm fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And did you notice, I noticed now um, with friendships and especially looking back through relationships, um, I always, so relationships always started when I was hypomanic and we usually broke up when I was sad. Did you have mm -hmm. any of that experience? So I've actually been with my husband since we were 16. So oh my gosh. I'm not yet. So we, we've been together for a really long time. So I didn't experience it with relationship but I did with jobs. So okay. I, I've actually done a video on this because, and it was cool to see how many other people relate to this, but I would get it, go apply for a job always when I was hypomanic and I would get the job every time because it's oh, yeah. like, you are very charismatic. Like you, you can figure out what to say, how to say it. And I would get the job every time. And then like, my depression would hit and I'd try to like, no, no, like, please. Don't. And then I'd end up quitting. And then, you know, later the bosses would be like, well, what, How? like, I'm so confused. Well, when the depression was hitting I'm like, they hate me. They think I'm terrible at this job. They probably talk about me and regret, like, you know, hiring me. That was never the case, at least mm -hmm. as far as I know, but like never really the case. But then I, I would quit before I even had a chance. Cause you know, when you're depressed it's like there's it's really hard once you get there to come out of it and logic is is gone so it's like I would quit my jobs and as I got older the less time I would spend at a job to the point really? where it started getting it was yeah it would be like eight months tops I could really? last wow mm -hmm. that's so interesting and you're completely right if I know that I get a face interview I'm gonna get a job even if I don't know what I'm doing if I'm hypomanic. Yeah. <laughs> we think we're good at everything. You know? Robotics, sure. This is key. I yeah. <laughs> I did Lego. I sure I can figure it out, right? And I think um that's interesting that you say that because people are like, "Well, you what do you do?" And I I like I teach. I fit it was an absolute miracle that I finished my degree because during the depressions I could only like barely get to school right the only reason I passed the math one um was because there was a bell curve and I got like a c plus but if there was no bell curve I failed but everyone was failing so I feel like that might be about the teacher <laughs> but let's just go with it yeah <laughs> um but I remember just tell me if you relate to this, but I don't know if it would be with your jobs or for me, it was, I remember this mostly with university, but just thinking about how I could get out of the thing. So I would think up things like, well, maybe if I just get in a little car accident, or maybe if I just, you know, break my leg, but not like 
not in a really bad spot. So I have just to not have to go or do the thing. Have you ever felt like that? All the, all the time. And anyone, you know, looking in, it's like, you're lazy. Yeah. And then I'd be like, why am I so lazy? Like, why am I, because I could do these things, but it was like that. And I, uh, it took me four years to get a two-year degree. And I mean, I struggled and it was actually right after I graduated college was when I was diagnosed and I, and I went a little older cause I, I had my kids, but when I got diagnosed, it was like, oh, I, it was a wave of relief. But of course I immediately like rejected it. Once I came out of the depression, I was like, I was misdiagnosed, but yeah, college was, it was rough. There were a lot of times that, and and I, I had excuses and I would say it in my head, but then I was always so hard on myself. So it was like, I'd end up tricking myself, I guess, into finishing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was, yeah, it was pretty wild. I think I took five or five and a half years to do my four, no, six years to do my four-year degree. That would be my advice. So I have students ask me all the time and I'm like, I can't really remember because it was a long time ago because I'm super old, but um I say like take less I the one time I took a full course load I had to drop it was the one time that I went in to a counselor and was like hey like I knew I would get an f because I missed the cutoff of of dropping it and I was like for my mental health like I need and they let me drop it without it noticing but I think that I was just like well everyone else is well everyone else is and I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm learning even now and I, I, I saw it a lot um, with my daughter, who's neurodiverse. She's eight, one of my daughters has ADHD and actually another one struggles with anxiety. And I just not taking the help, right? Like not mm-hmm. taking the help because, well, I, I don't want the, you know, other kids to think I'm getting special this or that it's easier for me. And I was like, I could see it for them, but not for myself, right? That it isn't extra. It's just, you're at a, a, you know, this is going to sound hard, but like at a deficit in this area, right? In the mm-hmm. area of schooling, we all know that we teach, even though I don't want to, we have to teach a certain way for that many kids. You can't meet their individual needs. I'm not going to lie. I would love to. Yeah. And that is why I don't teach full time anymore because it broke my heart that I couldn't meet every kid's needs. And it was just so overwhelming that way shout out to my full-time teachers. They are fabulous. <laughs> uh, unless I have to, luckily I'm privileged enough not to. I, people are like, you're going to TOC forever. I'm like a hundred percent. I'm not like, yeah. I don't want, it's too much. It's too much to take on. Anyways, let's round back to my point. Cause I think I have one. <laughs> um, taking those extra things that you need, especially if you have an an open workplace, right? It isn't actually getting a leg up. You're actually just getting up to where people are, right? So that you have like a level playing ground, right? You're not getting like, you know, if you get, I always think in terms of education, because I'm a teacher, but like, if you get an extra half an hour, that isn't it's because it takes you an extra half an hour to work with the way that your brain works. And so my biggest, biggest advice would be to those in school, like reach out to the student services or the, you know, or take the free counseling if there is and, and, you know, talk to your professors and just take all the help that you can, because it's okay to say that we need it. It doesn't make us a lesser person. You know what? The other people might have different needs in other areas, right? 
So I don't know. That's what I think looking back. Well, looking back to your to your college years, would you have any words of encouragement or something to say to our folks that I know that a lot of people are getting diagnosed earlier in their 20s, so a lot are in school. Yeah, I the one thing that my biggest message has been is to research your diagnosis. And mm-hmm. and for me, you know, I was basically when I was diagnosed, it's like you have bipolar two. And I remember them saying basically like, well, it's the lesser, you know, the whole, the stigma of it, like, oh, it's lesser that worse than, you know, the other one. And, and I remember thinking, okay, and it was like, here's the medication. And then I was kind of sent off. And so I did not research it. I based everything off of what I had heard or seen on TV. And for years I did this. And so I didn't really understand it again until about last year and I feel like if I would have researched it, I could have learned to accept it and coexist with it and not think that it, you know, determined my future because it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something that controls you. I mean, we, we can't really control it either, but we can learn to live with it and not live against it because it's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. I think I a hundred percent agree. I need to tell um, for those of you that are scared too. So for me, when I first found out, I couldn't because I found there wasn't anyone like anything that you typed in, in 2010 that like Facebook was just starting. People were not sharing that. (laughs) You're writing like Jaylee is going to Costco. Do you remember? (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) When they come up in memories, I'm just like, why, why? And remember how it was just like, it said something is so you started your sentence with like going to the store with your kids or like what yes <laughs> so all that to say there wasn't like I couldn't look to people with real lived experience so what I all I would see is like at that time the doom and gloom or the medical or this and I was just so desperate to to connect because I didn't feel I didn't feel um I don't know, as connected to that information, or I had so much stigma from what I knew or whatever, I was kind of like, well, I'm not like that. Or "Eh, I'm not, you know, I'm not like that, or I'm not, you know, that bad. And it's horrible to say, you know, but we're all affected um, uh, by stigma. And my thing is, you know, I'm just not strong enough. That was my thing. Like, I'm just not, why can't I be stronger? Why can't I have a, you know, tougher skin or, or whatever it is. And growing up, I grew up with all brothers. So on like, you have that dynamic too, right? They're all rough and tumble. And I'm like a mess over a lot (laughs) of things. And so, yeah, I think that it was really, really hard for me. I don't think that I really started, like, I just took my medication and went, and what tried to just get on with things and didn't learn. Like, I think it was like, five years because it would make me spiral now yeah. I think with all that's out there I think I would have much 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 sooner and I think that's why when Julie and I started this podcast we wanted a video component because I was desperate to see somebody else somebody else that wasn't on tv or wasn't you know um, didn't take all the hard parts of bipolar and put it all together that that's the only only way you can live with bipolar disorder so that was really hard so I think 
for sure. And I, I would add to your advice of learn all about it, but also, so have the medical things so that you don't yes. miss information, but also like look to people with lived experience because sometimes they can put things into words that the me the medical community cannot. Oh, absolutely. That And that's something when you were saying it, it I've learned more in the last year from, you know, being, um, researching it on social media, finding people that live with bipolar, because you're right, they know how to put it in words. And even up until, you know, last year, I would go on and off medication on and off. And it wasn't until I doc had a doctor that said, um, are you willing to try a new medication? And I was like, no, because I had just been through it. It felt like they were just reading their book that tells them what is the, the right medicine and all these things. And, and I told I told her, I was like, no. And she goes, I, I want you to know that the medical field has failed the bipolar community. And it like instantly intrigued me. I was like, oh, mm, yeah, I agree. Continue. You know, I want to hear what you have to say. And when she went and kind of described it, we've always treated bipolar two just as depression, antidepressants. And she's like, we never considered more to it. And once she had made me feel like maybe she does kind of, you know, she doesn't have bipolar, but enough to understand what I'm going through. I was yeah. like, I'll consider it. And I feel like it was the best decision I've ever made. I finally got on a medication that I was like, oh, for the first time in my adult life, like I'm like, it actually scared me when I started this medication. I thought that I went, was in a hypomania and hadn't realize that it'd come on because I didn't realize that I could live so stable. So I was like, this can't be real. And I was waiting and waiting, and waiting. And, you know, I'd still have like depressive times, but nothing compared to what it was prior. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I think to how I explain, um, my med like taking medication is I couldn't even think about doing you know the managing and the different coping skills or whatever because my nervous system was so dysregulated that you're just trying to do the next thing that made you feel okay right so you're just scrambling for things especially when I'm hypomanic ch you know chasing the good or um just trying to feel better in my body right if I'm hot I'm cold I'm this I'm that I'm just dealing with that I don't have time to say I should take a couple deep breaths and journal no, like yeah. <laughs> so whacked up inside. And I think we've thought of this, it is a brain disorder, but I think that um, what I learned from other advocates or when I started reading memoirs is I thought I didn't, I didn't make the mind body full connection. Like sometimes when mm -hmm. people say things, I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that that's a symptom of bipolar disorder. So for years and years and years, when I was depressed, I would have disordered eating. I would have a binge eating disorder. And I would restrict. And it was the only thing that I felt like I could control. And I would, it destroyed those parts. Do you know how many dinner parties I missed? Because I didn't know what they'd be serving. Or yeah, all I could think about is what not to eat. Or, you know, or I was over exercising. I was just horrible to myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I wouldn't ever get diagnosed with an eating disorder because it was only four to six months out of the year. And then when I was hypomanic, you know, I didn't think about it for a second. I didn't record everything. Yeah. I didn't. But then after I was diagnosed and I was looking online and I saw someone, I think 
maybe I've read it in a memoir. It doesn't matter. And I went to my um, psychiatrist and I brought it up and she's like, oh, 100%. Most folks, many folks with bipolar disorder during the depression have disordered eating or throughout. And I just felt mm-hmm. this wave of relief because it didn't fit in anywhere. And, no, you know, it wasn't a re it was, you know, I was always told by doctors, it's not a real eating disorder, but it took over all of my life. And I remember the freedom in that. And I, that's what I get over and over again. And that's why I share the hard parts of bipolar, the yucky parts, right? Like the anger, yep. the rage, because I didn't know, like you think of this as a personal failure, right? Yes. Oh, so much. I know. And I always wish, like I tell my husband, especially, you know, if I've hurt his feelings or if I'm, you know, if I'm awful to him or whatever, I'm like, I wish like I was bleeding right now. That was my symptom, right? Because my symptom of anger and rage that doesn't for a not angry situation um, isn't like it's hurting you. Like I wish it was just just me hurting so a lot I used to spend a lot of my time wishing that I had a different illness which is not wise but um (laughs) yeah it's really really hard I would love actually to go back can you tell me about the year or two leading up to your diagnosis what you were experiencing in your body and in how it was affecting your life and then lead me up to you getting the help you needed So leading up to it, I actually remember this very distinctly because my husband was in the military and uh, yeah, so he ended up getting deployed and when he was deployed, this was actually the first time um, when, well, I'll go through it. So he gets deployed and we had a three month old and then a three year old and I'm in school full time. And trying to take care of two kids in a different state away from any help, you know, but I, it's that personal failure thing. It was like, I can do this other, you know, other people do this. Why can't I? And it was during that time he was deployed that I really started going, I think something's wrong because my, my fuse was so short. And I remember specifically, there was a time where um, my youngest daughter was crying and then my oldest started crying and I had remembered when I had heard them saying like if you ever get angry when you know your baby it's okay to go into a different room and breathe or whatever and this was the first time I'd ever experienced anger like this so I remember going into the bathroom and locking the door and plugging my ears and I was pushing so hard against my ears that it felt like I was going to like go through like right into my brain. I was like, I just couldn't handle the noise. And I had never experienced something like this before where the, the rage inside me that I lost full control. Like I was like, why am I so mad? And then you're sitting there going, I'm a terrible human. I'm a terrible mom. How could I ever be this angry over crying? And there's no one to reach out to. There's no one. And so that was like the start of the the beginning. So I don't want to say it was the start of the end because bipolar for me actually has saved my life accepting it. Uh, But it was the beginning, you know, of the beginning. And looking back on it, 
there were very, there were a lot of times where my temper was just like so short and I'm not like that at all. And so it was just so confusing. And then leading up to that. So it was actually within those two years. Then fast forward, I graduate college. And as I um, get, you know, my degree handed to me, my, my mom had to miss my graduation. And it's so weird looking back at this. So my mom was going to try and come to my graduation and she couldn't, uh, she has CMT. It's kind of like muscular dystrophy. Um, and she was getting ready to get surgery, but for some reason in my mind, it almost was like, this didn't count graduating without my mom being there. And even though I knew she wasn't going to be there when I was walking across the, the stage, I remember looking out and like searching for her, just like a little kid, like, where's my mom? And then when, you know, she wasn't there, it was like, I broke down and then I slipped into a deep depression. And of course I didn't realize cause I hadn't been diagnosed yet. That was the first time I reached out for help to a psychiatrist where I, I went and I was like, there's something wrong with me. Like, I feel like, you know, I, I can't imagine living any longer and I have all these things to live for. And there was so much guilt. Cause like, how dare I think like that with having kids, I just graduated college. Like what is wrong with me? And that was kind of when I was, they were like, Oh, you know, this is what we think here's. And that was actually when they had said to, um, that bipolar. And I, I don't know the validity entirely on this, but that, you know, there's something with people that have bipolar that they might not show symptoms, but it's like, can be a major event that triggers it, that starts it up. Yeah. And, and they felt like it was his deployment and which was two years prior to my actual diagnosis that set it off just that, you know, even though he didn't abandon me, you know, air quotes there, yeah. I felt a sense of abandonment. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, it set. And that's when it set everything kind of into motion. Yeah. Yeah. Big life events. And I think what people don't understand is that it can be good things too right? Like, yes. like I look back at my wedding and I was flying so high and then <laughs> like, and it was like in the middle of August and we even like ridiculous things happened. Like I, we won our wedding, like most of our wedding. Cause I went to this <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So you can imagine the excitement and then the crash afterwards, it actually oh. was like a month later, 9-11 happened and I knew no one, but I thought my husband was, I just always thought he was going to die. Like just all these things happened. Oh. So it was like a trigger of, I mean, I had a couple, but um, the trigger of just of getting married and I was marrying yeah. someone awesome and I loved it. I cried that I wasn't planning my wedding anymore. I missed planning. I, I'm an event planner as well. I love it. Um, and so, yeah, I would look over this ridiculous binder that I had and I would just cry that it was over. I know for me, a big trigger too is things ending. And I've had to really work on this about with my kids, right? Because I have a 16 and 18 year old and every stage I was I struggled to enjoy the stage that, that we were in because I was mourning the stage before. Do you ever do that? Oh, oh, all the time. My dad actually always says to me, he always uh, says, you know, if you have one foot in yesterday and one foot in tomorrow, like you're peeing all over today. Oh, and it's so yes. true yes. because I'm always, you know, I've always lived 
out of the moment. And it's, it's something very hard for me to be present because yeah. it's much easier as, as weird as this sounds to sit and beat yourself up. For some reason, it's easy to name all the things you've done, what you think is wrong. And I do it more often than not. And, and it does, it sets me into a depression or like you said, something happy can just tr like it's it's this is something I don't you know if I wanted people to really know something about like hypomania is like we have to even be careful sometimes allowing ourselves to get too happy because it can trigger it and it's like it's really hard to live like that sometimes and that's why we allow ourselves to just kind of slip into it occasionally because it's like okay I I need this like you know I, I need that high even if it means anger and stuff like just a reprieve from the depression oh totally I can I wish that people without bipolar disorder would not judge um judge people that go on and off medication uh, not that they should not that I'm endorsing it but I completely understand I completely yep. understand, especially when you're in a depression, because I can also convince myself of just remembering the good parts of it. And I forget the, the, other yes. parts, right. And so that's for someone that's listening that loves someone with bipolar disorder, of course, encourage them, um, try your best to help them stay on, but understand that it's, it's not because, you know, we're, we're stupid or irresponsible. It's just that yeah the reprieve right and they say anxiety yep. is living in the future depression is in the past and I recently I didn't I had to work on that because I didn't want to pass it on to my kids because I know that the way my brain works I remember every hard thing that happened and I didn't have a capital T trauma in my childhood and so but I if I look back to memories the ones that I hold on to are the hard ones and I've had to retrain my brain I've had to have my mom my brothers I'm like tell me about times you know that that were good or fun we had because I would forget it all and I noticed that with one of my kids is that I'll ask how something went and they'll remember the one thing that didn't go bad so I'm trying to help them remember the other things because it's just so easy to do it's like that whole you get 10 compliments and then you get one you know insult and that's all you can can think about right it's really hard to re to retrain those thoughts and yeah I thought again that was a personality flaw and I realized like that's my bipolar brain like lying to me right oh yeah, yeah. oh and it does and especially with you know the kids like I have two daughters and um 15 and 12 and so and I'm really open about my bipolar now like I just feel like I hit it for so long that I'm like no like I owe it to myself the world like everybody like I'm gonna talk about it if any if someone's gonna let me I'm gonna you know and I I feel like it's important and so I do with my kids too because I feel like they need to know like hey this can be passed like but you can live with it. it it's yeah. not, you know, and they've asked me before, like, do I have it? Like, not yet. You, you could. And, yeah. and so we just work on those kind of things, but I have one that also does that. They remember the bad, you know, with anything. And I'm like, Oh, and then again, it's that guilt. Like, what did I do wrong? What have I done wrong? And it's like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to bring up the, you know, the parenting thing too, that's an extra barrier of getting help because one is supposed to be the best time. Both of my kids, having my kids induced a hypomanic anxiety, 
right? So people think of postpartum depression, but I really tell women to watch out for the anxiety or some of the postpartum euphoria it, you know, brings mm -hmm. out symptoms because I was like rearranging my kitchen and I didn't sleep when my kids slept. I was, I re pulled out my entire kitchen or I, you know, made these elaborate plans or I, I, like I was just so high on everything. And I was like uh, trying to foresee anything that could go wrong. Like I had everything, I would over-prepare and all of these things I didn't realize were, you know, not all I thought of was postpartum, like it's called the postpartum depression and anxiety, right? And even though it was bipolar, bipolar intersects with so many, um, you know, oh, yeah. all, all the things. So that's why it's hard to sort out. But I always tell uh, women to watch, like watch for that because it, it is an indicator. And I, it made me very, very, you know, tired and just, I look back and I was like, wow. I could have used a lot of, of help then. Yeah. Yeah. And we well, and I think people, if they see stuff like that, this is why it's so important. We talk about it because when we're not talking about it, we're told that these things are, you know, quote unquote normal, like this is normal. This is no, and, and it's, there's things that it's not, and, but we're now comparing ourselves to what we should or think we should be. And then we're, we're just hurting ourselves because then we're like not realizing like, no, this, you know, this isn't attainable. It's not real. It's, and so that's why I, again, I will talk about it until I'm blue in the face if people let me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know parents are really um, scared because I was like, would, you know, if they knew how depressed I, if I got help, would, um, are they going to take my kids away from me? Right. Yep. Or are people going to say, you know, parents going to say they can't have a play date with with my my child. Right. If they knew because they because of all the misunderstandings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that's true. Right. Meanwhile, I think you're a better parent for getting help. Right. You're you're helping your family. And I agree with you. I'm very, very open. Um, and especially in you know, in ways they can understand. And my kids are very aware of their mental health. They're you know, very like my daughter takes days all the time. She's like, I just can't. And I find that I fall back into the like, especially with like they have jobs now. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are the jobs going to think of you? Da, da. So I know I've pushed them to go in. They weren't feeling well with their mental health and they're much more um, related, just as important as physical health. And I think that that's really starting to change. And so I think that, uh, you know, talking about it just makes makes them feel less alone and more willing to to share I think too with the um the hard part is is that people can relate to some of our feelings and we don't have this language because people use our diagnoses for <laughs> as adjectives everything <laughs> yeah yeah right and so but it's really hard to explain the depth Right. Like, cause I had so many times where I tell a friend or I'd start to, you know, try to put words to it and they'd be like, you know, well-meaning, but, oh, I felt like that before. Or I, so then I'm like, oh, okay. I'm just not dealing well with a feeling that everyone feels. Whereas, cause it's hard to explain the depth, right? Like I'm not mm -hmm. sad because my TV show ended and there's no more episodes, right? I actually don't know if I want to show up in this world anymore like that's a huge difference 
Yes. Well, and, and a lot of times there's, for me, you know, I, there's no rhyme or reason when there's times that I've gone into a depression and it's like, why, you know, your bills are paid, your kids are healthy, you're, and you're just like sitting there and the deeper you go, you know, there's, there's things like going back to like being afraid your kids are going to get taken away. I remember thinking that, and then the paranoia that kind of seeps in and you almost feed into, you make it, you know, you're feeding into these ideas and I've worked myself into a point with such a deep depression that I was like, my husband's going to take my kids from me. I, you know, just, and, and he'd be sitting there like, what is going on? And I'd be like, I've already made up this scenario in my head and now I'm mad at him for something I've created, but it's a depression. Like you're so deep in it. And it's like, no, I'm not like, yeah, sad about my show ending. I am sitting here living in an alternate reality. Like I am deep in the depths of my brain and coming back is going to be a trek. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. We do convince ourselves of these things. I have, and I remember thinking if you would have asked me four years ago, you know, did you have suicidal ideation or ideas or whatever? And I was like, no, no way. Did not. Nope. And then the more I learned about it, and I think that this is so important to talk about is it's again, doesn't look a certain way right? It isn't Mm -hmm. like, I want to die. I want, it's the same with self-harm, right? It isn't, it's wanting relief, but it's also these insidious thoughts like me with my little car accident to get a break from the world or, um, you know, just wanting to sleep like forever unless it gets better because I wouldn't know if it was going to get better. Or yeah, I had for the first time in 10 years, 12 years, I had a, like, I call it a low grade depression, because it was even hard for me to recognize that I was, I was depressed. I was like, no, surely it's because of all these horrible things that are going on in this world. But I just thought, why would we even want to be here? People are terrible. This, and I was just thinking that or nothing's going to get better. You know, I'm always going to be, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and a lot of um, the irritability, but they were things that the things that I was irritated about actually made sense, but the intensity of how I felt. Yes. So now I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't have a plan, but suicidal ideation is for reals. Yes. Did and you, you don't. It, oh, well, see, last year was like the year that it was such a, an awakening year for me. And it was the first time that I had so growing up, I remember thinking like that, like, you know, I, I just wish that I would fall asleep and not wake up, but I never looked at the severity of it. And till last year when, and this is where I explained to people that deep depression is when your kids aren't enough, your husband isn't enough, you're nothing, you feel to your core that the world is better off without you and that all you're doing by living is burdening everyone and that you are almost I you know last year I'd convinced myself that I was wrong for even wanting to live because the way I felt like I was projecting my depression on everyone and what kind of person would allow themselves to do what I was doing and so it only makes sense that I don't continue to do this. And that was actually like a rock bottom for me was when I remember thinking, 
you know, of my kids and believing what I was thinking. And I think that's a big thing too with bipolar is that people that don't have it, don't understand you get, it's hard to trust yourself because when you're in that, that mindset, your brain is lying to you, but then you're like, how can I trust anything if I can't trust my own brain? And so when I would try to convince myself, like, but you have kids, it was like, you know, having the devil on one side and the angel on the other. And it was like, but what does it matter if this is how you're teaching them? Like you're crying all the time. You can't get out of bed. Like what kind of mother are you? And it just, to get out of that spot is so hard to just, you know, think that you're worthy enough for life and we're all worthy enough. But when you're depressed like that, you don't think that you're worthy. Yeah. And that's why I struggle with a lot. Cause I love, um, you know, and I'm learning my big thing right now is getting out of my head and back into my body. And so I follow a lot of embodiment and I'm trying to do different practices, like all the things that I thought were woo woo before, like tapping and just doing um, exercises that get me back in into my body when I'm stuck up here. But sometimes there's a the message that comes along with it that I believe to a part, but it's like, you know, follow your intuition, your body knows, listen to its cues. And I'm like, hell to the no, that's (laughs) a disconnection. I missed like my, my my body's sending the wrong cues. Like I am having so much anxiety. It's like a grizzly bear is chasing me, but I'm just trying to send a darn email. Yeah. Right. And so you're right. It's really hard it's really hard to trust yourself. And that's a, that's a yucky feeling. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I feel there's, I have that with anxiety and yeah, it just happened to me the other night. So I was so excited to go to a Christmas party and Mm. I like people. I enjoy people and I'm getting ready. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it was like, I started sweating and then I started getting hot. And then I started getting that overwhelming dread And I was like mad at myself because it was like my brain and my body were not on the same page. And I was so mad because it's like, I want this. Why are you fighting against me right now? And it's things like that where it's, it's aligning your, because it's like my body's doing one thing and trying to survive while my brain is trying to kill me. And it's hard because it's like, stop telling me that because it's a lie. Like I'm, you know, I can do this and this is too where it's important to have a support system. And I, I'm lucky enough because I know a lot of people don't have it, but I, I'm so fortunate to where my best friend and my husband know when things are going sometimes before I do. And, and they know they've learned it with me. Like, this is how we talk. This is what we say. This is how we get her back because we do get so lost that it's like, I, I don't know that I can find my way back on my own. Yeah. And that's what's hard too. I get so frustrated because I'm like, okay, I recognize it. And that is the first step and that is good. But who the hell cares if I recognize it, if I can't do anything about it. I loved what you just said there about um, having people that understand. And that's where it's hard, especially when you're in different stages to actually take the time to write down, like, these are my, you know, these are the first symptoms. These are when it's getting worse. This is when I'm full on in it and what that looks like, right? There are certain things that my husband 
you know, can say that will harm or hurt, right? And they can be little things like we don't say calm down in our house. We don't yeah. say <laughs> we don't say at least in our house. That's a big thing because I think that minimizes anyone's experience. Um, yep. Uh, I saw this. Oh, I forget who it was, but this creator did did this thing. It's like, well, oh, I forget what she, what she kept saying, but it was like she would say something. She's like, oh, you know. I'm not depressed anymore because someone has it worse, right? Or I'm not yeah. this, someone has it worse, right? And it's like, that. that is not helpful. And I love that idea of writing down or making a friend or family member, even if it's one trusted person, the things to say that help. Yep. Right? And, and we did a whole, it's it. one of our, one of our most popular episodes. We did, Julie and I did one on words that hurt and words that help. And just some of the feedback we've gotten from folks that love people with bipolar disorder. Like we, one of the big things was, okay, it's awesome if you're going to bring food, but it's actually terrible. If you think I need to answer the door and talk to you, I have to get back to you to return your stuff. I feel like I need to do a thank you card or reciprocate. Sometimes those things actually are worse because a lot of times people expect a thank you or this but just I might like just leave it at the door or we we shared certain things like that but I'm noticing that it's very different because when I put up a post some things that I would say is very hurtful to me I get some comments like oh that that actually doesn't that makes me feel better so you need to personalize it right I love that oh yeah some phrases and also have your people I I like scoffed at my counselor when they said this a long time ago, but like be a detective. And I'm like, this is so dumb, but um, be a detective <laughs> about your thoughts. Ask people around you, is that thought realistic? Or, um, you know, think, try and think of clues that tell you if it is. And if it isn't, then it isn't right. Yes. Yeah. The alternate reality that you were talking about. Right. And the worst, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the anger, because I think that a lot of people don't um, understand what that might feel like in, in your body. And also, you know, anger just looks one certain way. And although it can be true with untreated folks that, it, you know, with anything, you can, you can be violent. But I think it's really important to talk about, you know, anger and rage that isn't violent, right? And yes. I know for me, it starts in my body, right? And uh, I just, I get hot and I'm just, I feel like if I don't say something or if I can't get it out of my body, like some kind of explosion or mean words, it, I know it's not going to work out for me to do that, but it's like, I can't help it. Tell me how you yeah. feel. Yeah. Mine's very similar. It starts in my body and I feel like, you know, I've got to get this out. I've got it. And, and I've learned now that nine out of 10 times when I react, like my initial reaction, I'm, I'm going to hurt feelings. And, and then I have to really think about what is really annoying you because it will start, you know, with things that I'm just irritated, but then it's like, I start looking for things to justify my irritation because you know, we can't accept something if we don't have the answers. It's like, well, yeah. if I don't know why I'm angry, so I need to create reasons to be angry. And that's when I'll start doing things where it will be so trivial. The dog, you know, licking its paws or, or you know, just someone eating. Uh, it could be 
just different things that I've never physically reacted, but the way I feel inside is like every molecule in my body is stretching out and like, I'm just inflating like, and, and I can feel it for a long time. I actually thought that I had, um, needed to do like anger management things yeah. because before I really realized that this could be a symptom of bipolar, I was like, there's again, something wrong with me. Other people aren't getting angry like this. Why am I so mad? And, and a lot of what I do, I'm, I'm very controlling. So this is something I'm working on, but yeah, I'm like super controlling. And sometimes I like to look at things that like there's black and white, right and wrong. Yes and no. And that's not realistic. And for someone who's controlling, it's really unrealistic. So it's like, I want to control. What am I angry about? I need to fix this now. Like we, we just can't, I, I don't know. It's hard with the anger. I'm still working on it. I I've gotten a lot better. So I'm not saying hurtful things because that's what I will say the most hurtful things. And then like, wow, you should be like, you should be embarrassed that you just did that. And I spend a lot of time apologizing. And that's a big step I think for people to learn is that having a mental health disorder, I don't feel excuses you from bad behavior, but it does explain things and apologizing is something that we have to learn to do because there are times we will do things that hurt people's feelings saying or doing and we need to be humble enough to acknowledge that that doesn't mean it's okay like there's certain it doesn't mean it's okay and we need to apologize for it yeah yeah and it's so frustrating because sometimes that makes me more angry right like that I have to that I have to apologize or I have to sometimes I'll, when I know, and I can feel it in my body and I know it's going to be one of those days um, or hours or whatever, I'll be like, I have to give a signal to my husband. Like I need extra grace. I am very worried about what's going to come out of my mouth. Please know ahead of time. Like I, I don't mean these things. Like I am trying my best, like the other night and pre me would have not dealt with it this way, but it was so dumb. It was like a bunch of things were coming up, like, you know, closer to Christmas. And then I have a sixth loved one and we couldn't figure out schedules because my daughters work now and taking time off with their new job. And I'm just mad that nothing's working out and I can't make it work. And then um, my daughter's like, well, let's bake cookies. Let's do. And I don't know if you get like this, but I think I always think I should be like every moment should be Christmassy, should be a memory, should be. And I know. That's not realistic, but I still think I feel this like it's like a motor. It's like my Christmas motor. Like we didn't, you know, we haven't watched enough movies. We haven't done the things. So she asked me to bake cookies. So I was so pumped and I was like, yeah. And so I make this one, you know, we make, we tried a new recipe. It flopped. I could totally laugh. Right. We laughed, whatever. Yeah. Then I made the thing that I'm like usually really good at. And I don't know. I don't like baking. So when I do bake, I try and do a whole bunch of things because I'm never sure when I'm going to do it again. Yeah. (laughs) And then I answered the phone and I had to throw out three dozen cookies and I was so mad. I like squinched it up and I like threw like overreacting and I could almost see out of my body and I was just like, stop, stop, stop. But I couldn't. And I was like to my husband, I literally was like, I hate this house. I hate everybody. I hate, I hate Christmas. I hate, like, I was just freaking out and he's looking at me and I'm like, Oh, and then I'm like, 
still feeling it. And I'm like, and I have to wrap these presents. And then I get into feeling sorry for myself. And I put this whole Christmas oh, together. Yes. None of you appreciate me. And I'm hearing myself and I'm like, just stop. And I can't. And finally I'm like, I'm going to my room. And I went in there and I was literally in there less than half an hour. I watched like this true crime YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. And I came out and I was like, it was, I didn't hate everything. Was it miraculous? No, I still had a lot going on in my body, but I was able to do that years ago. I wouldn't, I would just be on a, a rampage and I would be miserable. And it's like, my bipolar wants everyone to be as miserable as me. And I feel like people are doing it on purpose. Do you know what I mean? Like when I'm upset, with oh, someone, yes. someone says, I feel like they're doing it on purpose. Like if a friend sends a message like, oh, we need to talk. Meanwhile, they're just being like, I miss you. We need to talk. And I'm like, they're breaking up with me as a friend. There it is. Yeah. How can they send that message? Right? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. What are some, so for me, removing myself um, and I'm giving, we're kind of touchy on this, but I'm trying to give my husband permission for both of us to say it to each other, like take 20, like we need to take yeah. 20 or whatever. Right. And I'm like, okay, let's try this. Cause that might make me matter, but we'll see. Let's try this. But what are some strategies that help you um, when you feel enraged? help me <laughs> so the biggest ones I have is actually my husband helps me a lot when he's not the one that caused it which I don't know <laughs> but it's always necessarily like him causing it or just like right. you know I'm angry and it's like you just happen to be there yep. uh, but you know he helps me with it but it's I actually it's my best friend and she's learned my bipolar right along with me and and figure out and so a lot of times I will call her and I normally start with like I need someone to talk me off the ledge and tell me if this is real or is this me like you know and and she does it so gracefully I don't know how like there's times where I'm like I don't know that I could even be this kind of friend uh to someone that because I call her with everything and it'll be like, okay, so explain to me. And even when I'm in the wrong, she does it, brings it up in such a way that I'm not angry. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I was, you know, I was in the wrong for that. And, and so that's a big thing for me is having someone that has learned it and knows it. She doesn't take it personal. And, and there are times where I'm, I'll really be slacking because my depression and she'll call me and I, I'm not responding and I'm not, and she'll say like, I know you're going through it. Like, you know, yeah. and then I'm like, oh my, she's important to me. And I need to let her know you're right. I'm going through it, but I love you so much. Like, thank you for having grace with me. And, and so that's it. But writing is also the biggest thing that has helped me with everything. And that's why I wrote a book. And yeah. it's, it is another thing that I think saved me was just writing. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's painful to write, but I was like, I can't do nothing to get it out. And so um, I have this, so we have a WhatsApp group that my friends and I can write anything in so I can show up and, but when, I, and I do talk to text and if you're my friend, the biggest joke is good luck. And they can speak to because I don't, <laughs> I don't correct it, which actually yeah. can be a big joke because some of the things I've said that autocorrect, I, I'm convinced autocorrect hates me. Like they want me yeah. to be ridiculous. <laughs> um, 
But I also, I have this app and it's called Marco Polo. So if you're someone that it's hard to sit long enough or to write, which is amazing if you can, I can't most of the time. Although someone called me out on that in a really nice way and said, you do a heck of a lot of writing on Instagram. And I was like, ooh, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. That doesn't seem like journaling, but clearly microblogging through captions, I'm writing it out. So I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> interesting. But I have this app called Marco Polo. And basically it's a video app and I have my favorites on there. But you talk into the video. No one can talk back. So I don't feel bad for interrupting. I just all out. It's kind of like a free write, right? Like just, a, but it's, I do it all. And then they watch it when they can, because my big thing is I'm inconveniencing everybody, right? So they watch it when they can, or even sometimes if they don't have time, they'll say, I saw your message, you know, I didn't have time to look at it, whatever. And they respond in the time that they can. And with busy lives, it's a good thing. But the knowing that there's someone on the other end of that and that I can just blah, right? I, at yep. first, I always wanted to delete them and we've made a promise and other friends, you know, we've been a mess on there. And it's been a really, um, really, really beautiful thing. And I think that, yeah, because a lot of the time if I, there's certain people that I know want to listen, but I know it's going to be hard work because I'm going to feel guilty because I'm probably going to interrupt them, right? And half the time yep. I can almost work it out myself. I just needed that that release. And I used to, you know, think that it had to be my love partner, my husband, or it had to be these people. But I, it was such a, a weird thing for me because I felt torn that I was always burdening them. Or when I go back to depression, I have the same thought. So I'm like, I'm going to tell them the same thing I did last year. And they're going to be like, yep. can't you get over this? So I think that's so important. The writing, if you can. Or, um, yeah, talking into a video. Sometimes I voice record because I'm like later, I think about how I can share that with, you know, the community or on here. And I think it doesn't change everything, but getting the thoughts frees up more brain space. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like oh, it, yeah. takes, it takes the power away from the thought, right? Yes. When you, when you say it aloud, right? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about it. Yeah, you're right. It does. It helps a lot and whatever mood you're in, because that was something when I started my Instagram page, I was like, you know, I'm stable right now. And I was like, I'm yeah. going to, I'm sharing this and this is what people are seeing. And then I was thinking about it one day. I remember going like, oh my gosh, you know, depression's going to happen no matter what. I know this when I'm not sure. And then I was like, do I share that? Do I, and I had talked to my husband about it and he's like, if you're comfortable, like I think you should so that people do see, like they need to see that there's, it, it's bipolar. Like you're, you're gonna have ups and downs and they need to see that they're, you know, as long as you're comfortable with it, you have yeah. to be okay with it. Cause it is very vulnerable to share, especially when you're depressed. And I've thought that, you know, something that I might do if that time comes is do recordings. And then when I'm comfortable and, you know, back with stability, yeah. then show it because then I'm in a better headspace to handle yeah. whatever comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it took me a bit, but I, I, it's very therapeutic for me. I call it the messy middle and I can share in the messy middle now. And some of those, um, sharings in the in the my community on Instagram it's been really really powerful and so you're right because it's 
it's tempting to want to wrap it up in a bow, right? And because I'm so vulnerable about everything else, like I put on nice clothes and I do my makeup. So sometimes it seems like, oh yeah, yeah, good. Talk about these symptoms. You look like you're fine. I try and show up um, in the messy middle. And I love that. I love that idea too, to knowing your capacity. Like, is that, am I going to rewatch that and feel worse? Then maybe I don't post it. Right. Or yeah. is this going to be something that I want to share so I can, I need a me too. Then I, then yeah. I, I think being wise about that is, is really good. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. Um, I would love before we wrap this up, I would love to hear, um, you know, something that you, would say to someone that is struggling right now you said that you struggled to accept your diagnosis i would love for you to speak to someone that's struggling to accept their diagnosis want to take meds what's something that you could share with them i think my biggest thing would be that we can coexist i think that's the 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 word that is really important um, you don't have to live separate. It, you can coexist with bipolar and you can live a fulfilling life. You can have a family and a husband or wife or a partner. These are things that you can do and learning your diagnosis is the biggest thing reaching out to, especially when you are experiencing stability, that's the time to really be diving into it so that when you get depressed you know what's out there and you can have reminders you can have these things but i think learning it is the most important thing and knowing that you can coexist with it it's not it's not curable yet and for now like it's like no you can you can live with this and live a successful life it doesn't it's not a death sentence yeah yeah that's beautiful I love that, right? Because all the time and energy we could put into fighting it, we could put into working alongside. And we are not saying that is easy, right? No, it's so hard. Yeah, yeah, it's so hard. I love that. And, you know, we are worthy of of being loved. We are worthy of, you know, it might, our futures might not look like we've, planned or maybe how we thought it would but it can still it can still be really really beautiful well I just want to thank you thank you for showing up today thank you for sharing um I love what you're putting out on Instagram I think it's literally going to save lives and I'm oh thank you excited to to follow along and as I tell everyone that comes on my podcast. We are now bipolar besties. So you've seen a lot of me online and um, I'm just, I'm just really, really grateful for you. I'm grateful for you too. I really appreciate it. This is bipolar. If you love the conversation that Birdie and I just had, I hope that you will become a subscriber on Instagram because that's where our next part of our conversation is going to go. It is exclusive for subscribers only. And Birdie's going to talk about the five phases of bipolar and her hopes to turn that work into a workbook for um, all of her followers. And so we have a great conversation 
going deeper together. And so, yeah, go to Instagram. You can press subscribe. It's $6.99 US a month. And there you'll find all different exclusive content and different conversations. And we have a social channel and a place where we just connect and go a little deeper. So hope to see you there. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This Is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon-to-be future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies and we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.